Welcome to AgriTalk Podcast with me, Philip Kaitan. Today we are talking about coffee as a business. And with me is Sami Washieni, who is the founder and CEO of Crowdfarm Africa. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Sami. Thank you, Philip. Tell us a little bit about who Sami is and what uh, Crowdfarm Africa does. Okay, my name is Sami Washieni and uh, currently heading uh, Crowdfarm Africa Limited which is uh, a coffee trading company in Kenya that focuses on marketing coffee uh, from the farmers uh, to the consumers, mostly in the export market. Uh, the company is designed to use coffee as a tool for economic liberation for our farmers and connect them to international markets uh, using uh, most, the most convenient uh, systems for trading in coffee. How did you get into this? Uh, we got into coffee because uh, we thought that uh, we needed uh, to figure out what are the gaps in the coffee trading value chains. Uh, and uh, fortunately, we got into conversations with people who are on the other side, uh, the consumer side, because mostly coffee is consumed uh, in the West. Uh, we don't consume a lot of it here who are looking for ways of buying small quantities of coffee from Kenya. But they were having a challenges uh, in terms of figuring out the logistics because mostly, you know, they will expect to buy in very huge volumes. So we are trying to see how do we even build consolidation systems for small coffee roasters in, 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 the, in the West, mostly the U.S., uh, and how they can access high v- uh, premium coffees from Kenya. So because of that, we were able to get into uh, conversations with coffee, small coffee roasters in the U.S. who were interested in uh, buying Kenyan coffee, and we were able to provide uh, that solution for them. Okay. Uh, coffee has had issues for a very long time in this country. Uh, were you not scared that you will g- uh, get yourself involved in some tricky things? Uh, we, we, we know that coffee has actually been a very controversial uh, commodity, but uh, as everything that is valuable uh, has controversies. So for us, we, we are aware of the, of the controversies and the politics around coffee, but beyond the politics, there's a whole world of opportunities for our people. So we, we felt like uh, we cannot fix uh, some of these challenges by running away. We can only fix them by getting involved. And the politics around coffee mostly is around uh, mismanagement of uh, farmers' produce and all that, and uh, not on the marketing side. So mostly we were trying to see how do we work uh, with the farmers directly uh, and help them access better markets for their produce uh, without getting involved in their politics at the production level. So. How is Crowdfarm Africa working with the farmers? So how do you source your coffee? So basically, there are two ways of uh, trading coffee in Kenya. So number one, you can buy your coffee through the auction, or you can buy your coffee directly from 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 uh, from the farmer. So we call it uh, the second window. And eighty percent, over, over actually like ninety percent of the coffee is traded through the NCE, which is the auction system, and only ten percent uh, is traded through the second window, which is direct sales. For direct sales, this is where a buyer wants to buy directly from from the farmers without going through the the, the auction. And they they can build long-term relationships with these farmers. So for us, we are more biased uh, towards promoting direct sales uh, because we want our farmers to connect directly with the roosters uh, or the the buyers and maybe be able to build long-term relationships uh, to make sure that the farmer can be able to say, I have a reliable market for my coffee for for a period of time Mm -hmm. rather than a random buyer who will buy this year and then next year he doesn't buy. So we are trying to build, because on on this end, uh, the farmers are looking for buyers 
reliable buyers and consistent buyers. Then on the other, on the buyer side, the buyers are looking for reliable farmers they can work with over over the long term. So uh, if you're able to connect these two, you're, it's a win-win for both the farmer and the and the, and the roaster. So, but the, that cannot ha- easily happen through the auction system. So for us, we are trying to promote that direct relationship between the farmers and 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 the produce um, and and the and the and the roasters. So, do you sign contracts with these farmers? Yes, we do. Uh, we have a very elaborate system of how we coffee is traded uh, because the guidelines are there provided for by the government uh, and the ministry. But beyond uh, what the guidelines, we have gone a, a step further to make sure that we can be able to negotiate with our farm, the farmers we are working with directly. Uh, and we have what we call pre-negotiated uh, contracts. And our pre-negotiated contract is whereby we negotiate the pricing of the coffee that we will buy before they even produce it. So that comes with uh, some commitments on both sides. Uh, we will commit uh, a certain price uh, and the farmers are expected to, co- to commit a certain quality. And for them to get that, of course, they will need uh, to put in the work, to put in the commitment and the systems to make sure that we get the quality we are looking for. On our end, we commit to buy that coffee at a certain price, even before they harvest. Of course, that comes with uh, a lot of risk on both ends, uh, but mostly on our side. But to mitigate that, we have put in place uh, a, a support system for the farmers to make sure that we get the, uh, the quality we are looking for. Uh, and that pro- involves providing continuous support to the farmers uh, f- you know, during production, not only during harvesting and processing, but even during uh, uh, harvesting. So we have a few uh, extension workers, or call them agronomists, who uh, provide that support to the farmers we are working with. Okay. How many farmers is Crowd Farm Africa working with at the moment? Uh, we have uh, technically uh, close to 1,000 because uh, we, we have like one cooperative in Nyeri that has 200 farmers, another one in, in, in Meru that has 200 farmers that we are working with consistently. Like those are direct projects we are involved in, uh, the pre-negotiated agreements. And we have like 10 estate farmers who we have pre-negotiated agreements with. And beyond that, we buy randomly from a few cooperatives like uh, around Nyeri and, and, and Meru. Uh, for to top up what we are not able to produce through our pre-negotiated agreement. Uh, I would say we have a reach of about a thousand farmers we are working with directly. Okay. Any challenges so far? Yeah, challenges are many. Uh, number one, uh, the farmers uh, don't understand uh, or don't view, like we have viewed uh, farming as just another thing for a long time. So most of the times the farmers don't view farming like a business. So they, they, they are more emotional than rational when it comes to decisions, uh, making decisions around their production. And therefore, uh, they have a challenge understanding like what is, what the, what is their production uh, capacity, what is their break-even point, how much return should they expect. Uh, so those are some of the issues that we are trying to have discussions around. Because, for example, uh, our production right now as a country is, a, is, a, is an average of about three, two to three kgs. And the break-even point for coffee is about four, four, four kgs. So that means a lot of our farmers are operating below the break-even point. So what we are trying to do is help the farmers understand, number one, it, coffee is a business. If you're operating below the break-even point, uh, you will not be profitable, definitely. The good thing is uh, it's not 
if you give uh, the, 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 the coffee what it requires, it is very easy for you to go to 6, 7, 10 kgs within a very short time uh, or, or period of time. So once the, fa- the farmers who understand that, they are in very good business. Those who have a challenge is the ones who have not been able to crack the numbers and figure out that this is a business I must put in for me to get uh, returns. Okay. Yeah. How do you explain uh, to these farmers in a very simple language all these things you're saying now that uh, majority of them... Uh, semi-literate or illiterate? So we have created a community-based uh, model or sometimes you can call them farmer, farmer schools, farmer field schools, where we have uh, small units of about uh, like clusters of uh, 15 to 30 farmers meeting in a farm within their village with a local agronomist who is part of our system. And they go through the whole process as they t- he, he trains them on production and other in produ- provision of inputs and all that. We have specifically said that we need to bring that to, to the attention of the farmers. And part of the conversation is around how much uh, should, should I expect from my production and how many kgs should I produce for me to be profitable. So that is an ongoing conversation with our farmers at the farm level uh, with uh, our, our field uh, extension guys. Okay. So how, how does um, Crowd Farm Africa arrive at the very best of coffee? from your farmers? Uh, there is a very elaborate mechanism of uh, grading coffee uh, and there are two main um, metrics or f- f- systems. So number one is the size-based uh, screening, which basically looks at the size of the bean and that is the most common one that the farmers understand. So they will say grade A, 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 B, P, B and they're like 10 grades, uh, but that is purely based on the size of the bean. Uh, unfortunately, that is not the only metric we use for marketing coffee. So, uh, the, especially when it goes to the uh, specialty coffee market, uh, the capping score, which is basically how the cup feels, how the coffee tastes, actually, uh, will will earn more points than actually the screen size. So, we try to combine the two uh, to get to the results we're looking for because of course we'll need uh, big sized beans which is screen based which has very good uh, taste so we have a capping um, person in our team who provides the capping uh, of course that is he, uh, a kappa in kenya will do the whole grading system so we have someone who is on quality assurance and uh, to make sure that we get the quality we are looking for uh, on the farmer side, uh, that is on our side. The farmer side is we have to provide, number one, we have to have a history of, uh, of the coffee around that area. And then number two, provide uh, the agronomic support that is required for them to get the quality we are looking for. So from production, harvesting and processing, we, we, we follow that journey. That's why we are able to work with a small group of farmers and follow the whole process. Of course, that is on small scale. Uh, on large scale, I think... Uh, we would need to replicate what we are doing, uh, you know, like other stakeholders can come in and try to see how they can be able to provide the same support. Because I think it works for all of us. If you give them the support they are looking for, it is good business for us, it's good business for them. Uh, Kenya produces some of the best coffees in the world. Yes. Uh, but our consumption uh, rate is very low Yes. locally. Yes. What do we need to do to encourage all of us to partake into this coffee? Uh, I think uh, that is very true. We, we, I think we export like over, over 90% of the coffee we produce and only 10% is used locally. Uh, and that is part of the challenge we, we have as a country because like, if you go to our neighbors in Ethiopia, they will consume about 40% of their coffee. 
so they, they have already created a market for their product uh, internally. So Kenya has not been able to do that very well. Uh, I think the way, the way we could be able to do that is by looking for ways of bringing, you know, uh, the consumer coffee uh, commodity to a reasonable price. Uh, because I think we have very high-end coffees from Kenya, but we also have uh, low-quality coffee that, that, that is traded. So I think uh, for traders, they need to come up with a blend that is uh, suited for the Kenyan market, that is affordable, number one, and then packaged in small sizes. And then uh, like com- have campaigns for promoting coffee consumption. Like there is a time there used to be those campaigns uh, with adverts from the coffee board and all that. Uh, but most, mostly I think it's about affordability for the consumer. Okay. Um, I also understand farmers still grow very old uh, coffee varieties. Yes. How can they prove these coffees to uh, coffees that uh, are resistant to clim- uh, global warming and climate change? Uh, so the good thing with coffee, as my, I know a lot of the farmers still have very old uh, stocks uh, like uh, the, the stems. The good thing with coffee is it is a rejuvenating tree. So what they need to do is just cut off the old branch and new sprouts will, will, will sprout. And then they can feed those new sprouts as a new, uh, new, 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 as a new plant. That is number one. Number two, they can do what we call grafting, uh, which is basically uh, introducing a different variety to the, the existing uh, uh, variety so that the stem still remains uh, as it was. The good thing with uh, coffee is if you feed it well, within one year you, you see results. Okay. So most of the coffee, the old trees that we have, it's not about that they are bad. It's it's about they have been neglected. So like every other thing, if you neglect it, of course, it will not give you results. So uh, rejuvenating coffee, old coffee farms is not very hard. It's not, of course, it's not easy, but it is not very complicated if you put in the time and the resources. Within, uh, if you start, for example, a very neglected farm within year three, you should be able to recover your money and start making returns. And the good thing is once you start making returns, it's a long-term project. So it's a matter of uh, helping the farmers understand that they don't necessarily need to uproot all their trees. They can rejuvenate what they have for those who already have the, the trees. For those who don't have the trees, of course, when they're going to plant, then they can ask uh, for advice, like which variety will be very good for me, for this area, for this region. And, uh, and, and of course, try to understand which one will give you good quality coffee based on the region. I also understand uh, Crowd Farm Africa tries a lot to work with women. Yes. Why women? Uh, we have a project in Meru that <clears throat> has about 200 farmers, and out of the 200 farmers, we have uh, 70 who are women. And uh, we specifically insisted on that because we feel like uh, a lot of the system, the labor production systems in Kenya are biased against women. So the women provide the labor the men keep the money mostly because they own the land uh, and they own the trees but the women will provide the labor so we were trying to see how do we empower women using uh, using coffee so we have a project in Meru where uh, we have a partner in the US who said I can provide them with seedlings so each farmer was getting 200 seedlings and uh, he insisted that we needed to have women and the intention is very simple to provide uh, an economic uh, empowerment model for women and as a small one, you know, as, a, as, a, as small as it is, but then uh, look at it as a model that can be replicated in other areas. So with that project, you find the men are willing because they already have the motivation that they will get uh, the seedlings and uh, they will be, the, the seedlings will belong to the women. 
the the men are willing to say, okay, fine, I can spare a certain portion of my land for for my for my wife or for my daughter or for whoever is the woman in that scenario. And uh, for us, it's about how do we empower women economically? And I think coffee is a very uh, good system for empowering women economically. Okay. Um, we also had issues of uh, climate change and global warming. Yes. How is it affecting your farmers? In a, in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, like, number one, seasons are changing. Like, the harvesting seasons uh, have changed in some areas. Uh, for example, in Mount Kenya West, you should, we wouldn't be having harvests ha happening now. But you realize, like, uh, what we used to call the uh, the fly crop is basically, like, the same with the main crop. So there are a lot of changes in even the production patterns of the tree itself. Number two, we have issues of pests and diseases, which is, of course, associated with, uh, you know, uh, changing weather patterns, uh, more temperatures and all. And uh, we also have challenges with uh, soil degradation after farming for very many years and all that. So what we are trying to do to mitigate those are, number one, we, for example, think natural coffee is a very good uh, strategy for responding to water issues because natural coffee does not require a lot of water. Actually, it does not require water. You know, it technically doesn't because you just pick the cherries as they are from the farm and you just take them direct to drying. And Kenya has not been doing that. We only use the wet, wet processed uh, system for processing coffee, which is a very water intensive uh, affair. So we're trying to see how do we promote natural coffee as a product from Kenya. Uh, and number two, we are trying to figure out how can farmers start doing intercropping within their farms. So, the, you know, like their crops that are very good when intercropped with coffee, it will provide uh, food for the family and still provide, uh, rejuvenate the soil uh, for, 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 the, for, the, for the coffees. So those are some of the interventions we are doing at our level. A lot can be done, uh, but of course that would require more stakeholders coming together, uh, including the government. Uh, to help the farmers, especially uh, do what we would call, you know, regeneration of the soil using compounds that are that can be generated at the farm level. So, a lot of extension services would be required to provide guidance for that. Talking of government, yes, um, <coughs> agriculture is a devolved function. Yes, do you think uh, the national and the county governments are doing enough to help these farmers? Uh, I think for for. For the national government, mostly they will deal with policies, you know, like formulating policies, but not, they'll not go to the ground. So the, my thinking is uh, uh, because it's a devolved function, the county governments are the ones on the ground. I think we have very good policies around coffee uh, and around agriculture as a country, but very poor practices. The policy, yeah. So the the policies are there, but the practices are not there. They're not implemented. So I think for for execution or implementation, we will need to figure out of a system at the community level. And I think that 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 is a function that the county government could easily be able to get involved in. And uh, for example, we have very small units, uh, administrative units. You know, the wards and the county wards or whatever the MCA represents. We could create models around those. Because basically what the farmer wants is not what the national government is saying in Nairobi, is what is happening in my farm. So even if you have a very good policy in Nairobi and uh, a farmer is somewhere in a village in Meru, at the end of the day, they want to see that policy translated into something tangible in the farm level. 
uh, and that can only be done through extension services. So I think, uh, I don't know how we will be able to figure that out, but the county governments need to invest more on, on, on extension services for the farmers. Like, the, you know, some years back, there is a time we had a lot of that. And I think it's a good investment for the counties because most of the revenues we generate as a country are generated from agriculture. So it, it, it makes sense to invest in, in that space because that's where you get your, your revenues. Earlier on, you told me uh, you, started work, you started working with a uh, cooperative yes. that had literally died. Yes. Uh, how are you able to convince these farmers to come back and revive their coffee uh, business? Uh, so the, the, the factory is called Roiroiro in Nyeri, and uh, it was technically dead. Uh, they had loans and a lot of issues. Their equipment had died, uh, had, you know, like uh, they were not functional. They're, so they couldn't operate as a, as a cooperative. Uh, and if they were to revive what they were doing, they would require maybe five to ten million, including uh, if they were to repay the loans and uh, revive the machines. But reviving the machines alone would take them like three, four, five million. So we couldn't invest that kind of money with them, and they wanted to get back to coffee. <coughs> so they asked us, like, is there a way we can be able to collaborate and and figure out how we fix this problem? Of course, it was not us alone. There are other stakeholders uh, involved, including uh, the government. Uh, but there, there was one thing that was lacking, like, fine, the government wants you to go back to coffee, but there's no one is willing to commit to taking your coffee. So when they came to us, we said, maybe we have a solution. We, we could, instead of trying to think of how we go back to reviving the machine, asking for five million, we could just bring the coffee as it is and we make it natural. So that's how that sounded like an interesting concept, and they were like, "What is natural coffee?" So we had a long a, a long discussion around what is natural coffee, what are our expectations, and then they were like, "Fine, what kind of contracts will we need?" The good thing with natural coffee, you don't need the equipment, you don't need the water, you just need the drying bed because it's as it is from the farm directly to the drying tables. So the challenge was they needed a commitment. So we said, okay, fine. Uh, we had a history of the area. Uh, we were committed uh, to seeing that uh, factory revived. So we said, fine, we can commit for a certain volume and say, whatever happens, we will pay for this. So we had a pre-signed agreement. Uh, that was last year. And uh, the other year they had delivered coffee to other uh, factories and they were paid uh, at around 14 shillings per kg. So after negotiations, back and forth, we agreed to paying 70 shillings uh, for year one. And they were like, okay, that sounds like something we can do. So as long as it's already committed. So we had a pre-signed contract uh, and we started the production cycle. So they didn't even get to the target we were looking for because there was still skepticism about uh, the, 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 syst- the whole system and the politics around coffee. But fortunately, the coffee was very good. We took our risk. They took their commit. They took their risk. But we put in systems to make sure that the coffee was processed well, like the drying was perfect. There was no uh, contamination and everything. So the coffee was, uh, to our expectation, good. Uh, so once we were able to pay for that coffee within the period we had agreed, they were, you know, like motivated to start doing that. And we are still doing it with them without going to the, the route of reviving the machines because it's cheaper for them. It's more environmental friendly. If they want to revive the machine, they can do that later once they recover. But what I have learned with the natural coffee 
it's a, it's an easier approach to reviving some of the factories that are dead. But of course, it, it comes with a lot of risk because uh, the market side must be willing to take that. So there are more people who are into the marketing side need to say, fine, we can commit to a certain uh, cooperative and say we will buy whatever they produce. And I think uh, the Kenyan natural coffee is not a very common commodity in the, in the world. Ethiopia does it, Colombia does it, but in Kenya we don't do it. So I think it's a new addition to uh, to the market. Uh, and I think because Kenyan coffee is good, if we produce good natu- na- natural coffee from Kenya, I think the market is going to take that. Right. Um, we also know um, young people are our biggest uh, resource as a country. Yes. But majority of these young people want nothing to do with agriculture. Yes. What are some of the reasons you get from these young people when you interact with them as you try to encourage them to go into coffee farming? Uh-huh. Yes, uh, I have had a lot of uh, discussions around that and uh, being technically a young person, I would say their fears are basically my fears. Uh, so I understand where they're coming from. Number one is the experience with, a ca- majority of us have come from farming families, you know, farming a lot of manner of products, maize, potatoes, and all that. And uh, as, we, as, as we grew older, we started doing some numbers, and you would realize that uh, whatever farming enterprise you were running at home was not necessarily profitable. It was just like an occupation that needs to be done. And uh, young people don't want to do that, like just do it for the sake of it. They want it to make sense. So number one, they feel like agriculture is not profitable at all, uh, which is true based on our farming systems. Uh, that is reason number one. Reason number two is they feel like uh, they, 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 they are better off doing other things than, than coffee um, or other farming practices. So they get uh, employed like we are all employed in Nairobi and everywhere else. Number three is uh, they have a challenge with the politics around uh, commodities and especially, you know, like they want to keep off. For example, coffee sometimes gets very emotional uh, and political. So uh, sometimes people want to keep off. Unfortunately, I don't think we should keep off uh, because by keeping off, you're not fixing the problem. I think we should uh, look at ways of getting involved. And number four, they don't have a system of course, like uh, if I was to invest in farming, who would manage my farm when I'm in Nairobi? busy employed here. So my response to all those challenges is, number one, agriculture is profitable if you look at it as a business, not, not, not as an occupation, you know, for the sake of it. But you have to be willing to put in the, the time, the resources, and the commitment. Uh, in terms of uh, how do we manage the farms and all that, you will need to create a management system for the farms. And uh, we are working towards creating a farm management uh, solution for farmers where we provide uh, like that as a service. Like we will manage the farm for, for these young people, but they put in the, uh, the resources that are required for their production. For the politics, I think we change politics by getting involved in, in those politics. We cannot fix a, a system by running away from it. So I think young people have more ideas, uh, fresher ideas. They have mostly traveled uh, compared to our parents. They have interacted with coffee from all manner of angles, locally and abroad. So I think they, we, are, we are better placed to figure out uh, how that value chain can work for, for the benefit of our people and, uh, and our country. So uh, my thinking is uh, we, we will, we, the young people who are interested in agriculture can be actually a resource towards resolving some of the political challenges around, around, around coffee specifically. <clears throat> because 
policies are designed by 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 the people who are there so if you're not there you will not contribute to that discussion so if we expect our mothers to contribute to the discussion around policies at the national level uh, i think we are we're placing the ball on the wrong court so i think young people needs to get involved if you're involved you will want to understand what is happening if you're not involved of course you will not care what is happening so i think it is the high time we we, we support our parents uh, by influencing that by getting involved in in in, in this system Okay. Uh, we've also seen the national government trying to reintroduce what we used to call the 4K clubs in, yes, in yes. our primary schools yes. and the young farmers clubs in high school. Yes. Do you think uh, if this is introduced and these kids are taught well, will help solve some of these issues we are talking about now? Yes, true. Uh, and uh, I think that is a very good initiative by the government because uh, if you get in, uh, introduced to something when you're young, you, you want to understand it better. I have uh, seen kids, you know, like the ones around Nairobi going to the village and they cannot even tell you what is a coffee tree. They don't even know what it looks like. Yet they want to say they want to contribute to the national discussion around coffee. Yet we have coffees around. Uh, so I think that introduction of what agriculture is, the 4K clubs would be a very good starting point for for our young generation. But most importantly, and, and I think this is where uh, the crux of the matter is, uh, we, we need to make agriculture pay for the farmers. If it doesn't make sense for the farmer, the, the young people can see that. They can be able to see that it doesn't pay for my parents. So why should I get involved in it? So if we're able to make uh, agriculture profitable, uh, then the, fa- the, the, the younger generation can be able to emulate that. And I think uh, agriculture is still profitable, uh, and coffee specifically is still profitable if you do it as a business, if you understand the business. And, of course, uh, there is a conducive environment for you to conduct that business. And I think for, 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 for the government, the government provides us with policies. Most of the other things is about uh, the systems we create for our own enterprises. So I would uh, th- think that if we look at it as an enterprise and... People can have role models and say, you know, that guy's a farmer, that guy's a farmer, that guy's a farmer, and he's doing well. Then you you are inspiring a whole generation behind you. So I think uh, it is high time we look at agriculture from a very different angle than we have done, for, you know, like a subsistence system of living. If you go to other countries, agriculture is respected, you know. It's it, like if you go to uh, the, 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 the North American countries, Canada and the U.S., you will find that, Two percent of the people are farmers. Everybody else is employed in other uh, other sectors, but the two percent create a whole system because you know, like the, from production, value addition, trading, everything. The backbone is agriculture. But in Kenya, we say the backbone is agriculture, but we don't go beyond production. We don't even support the production itself because we need to understand how that whole value chain works, including what you're doing, you know, like in, in a hotel. Before it gets to the hotel, it's a whole value chain. And it employs a lot of people from the farm all the way. But we don't give it the attention or, or, or the resources that are required at the production level. So if we support the farmers at the farm level, I think the, the whole value chain will make sense. Okay. That means also young people can play a lot, not just as farmers, yes. but uh, play, uh, play a very important role along the value chain. Yes, uh, I, that, is, that is exactly the idea. Because agriculture is a value chain and there are roles from production all the way to consumption. 
So uh, you can figure out which uh, which space you think you will be good at and uh, get involved in that. For example, we are not into production ourselves. We are more into marketing, actually, and, and logistics. And it's still within the value chain. So we try to attach it to the farm level because we know that is where the whole thing starts. And then try to attach it to the consumer because that is where the market is. So along the value chain, there are a lot of other players that are involved. So once we're able to break down what is agriculture and what does it mean for this economy, uh, I think uh, people will be able to look at it from a very different angle rather than saying uh, agriculture is about production only. Okay. Which other countries are our biggest competitors when it comes to coffee production? Uh, in terms of production, uh, our coffee competes mostly with Colombian coffee in terms of quality because our quality is very close to Colombian coffee. So our Kenyan coffee is compared to Colombian when in the international market. And Ethiopia is coming up very well in terms of that specialty, uh, quality, whatever. Uh, but again, in terms of production, we, we, have, we, we are lagging behind, actually, like Uganda has already overtaken us in production. Tanzania is doing better than us when it comes to production. Ethiopia is doing better than us in production. So Kenya, Kenya, Kenyan cup is, coffee is high quality, but our production keeps going down. The neighboring countries don't produce very high quality coffee, but their production is going up. Uh, so I think we have to figure out the disconnect uh, because if you produce and Kenyan coffee is one of the most expensive in the world, actually I think the most expensive in the world. So it should translate to better returns for the for the producers, and therefore production should be going up. Unfortunately, that is not the case. So uh, I think there's a lot of uh, figuring out that needs to happen around why is our production still going down. And uh, part of that is why what, what we said about the politics around coffee. Uh, and it, I think we have played politics so long with coffee to an extent people got demotivated, especially the younger people. So even when it's good business, people just keep off based on the politics they have had. Uh, so I think uh, the, the, there needs to be a shift, uh, especially with, uh, other, other, for example, with the government at the national level to change the narrative. Like, this is good business. It's not all, always politics, you know. Of course, uh, anything that is of value attracts a lot of interest and all that. But then the government needs to work towards changing the narrative around coffee uh, and creating a, a narrative that is more inviting rather than uh, repelling, especially the younger people into getting involved in coffee. Okay. Having said all that, yes. Uh, what do you think is the future of coffee, uh, farming and production uh, in this or coffee business in this country? Uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot of interest with coffee, especially with the younger people. They're asking questions, uh, including us. Uh, we, we, we would consider ourselves that generation and we want to understand how is it uh, produced, how is it traded, how is it exported and all that. So that curiosity is bringing in a lot of questions. If those questions are answered well, uh, I think we have a very good future with coffee. I have seen uh, a lot of young people trying to venture into it. Uh, we have a group in Meru that uh, young guys like 30 who have invested in coffee and they're not even in the farms themselves. So I think um, if you're able to change the narrative, the future looks good. And coffee is still good business. If you, if you do your numbers well and you do your research well, and you have a system that works. So I think uh, the future is, I think we will keep seeing some trends of young people getting involved. Once they get involved, I think production will start going up. Another thing that I think will happen is uh, coffee production zones will change uh, going into the future because like we had a lot of coffee farms around the mountain. 
most of those are disappearing, but interestingly, they are reappearing on other sides of, uh, of, of, for example, the Rift Valley, like in Kericho area, there's a lot of coffee planting that is happening around that area. So I think uh, in future, we may have a shift of where coffee is produced. Uh, but my optimism is uh, we go back to producing, you know, where we were a few years ago, like a decade or so, uh, rather than keep going down. And of course, that can only happen if we streamline the sector. Yeah. Do you think uh, with these new uh, production places, yes. like you mentioned, Karicho, yes. do you think the quality will this be the same as the one that being produced around the mountain? Uh, I know I know that the, the issues that are ecological, I may not be able to answer scientifically about um, the ecological factors. But I think uh, the, 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 if, you lo- if you look at, for example, Kiricho and, and Nyeri, uh, they, they produce tea, they produce tea. Basically, it's not very different. Uh, so I think uh, they will. So the, based on my experience with those, re- those regions, um, the challenge is it's a new thing for them, so they have not understood the, the you know the processes, mm. like they don't know how to uh, how do you take care of a coffee tree because it's a new product. In the mountain region, it has been the mainstay for a very long time, so they have mastered all the processes. But on the other side, they are learning. Uh, then number two, there was a lot of investment around coffee in the region. So they, we have uh, very high-end equipment, uh, factories and processing, whatever, around the mountain. Those ones are still struggling to develop their own equipment. And they're not lucky like the mountain was because I th- at some point the government was putting in a lot of funding for the equipment uh, and, and infra- infrastructure around the mountain. Those ones are building their own. Uh, but the good thing is their motivation is very high and the expectations are not as high as the ones in the mountain. So the, the, the excitement there is, is, is an indication that they will keep improving. So my expectation is that uh, as they improve, as they learn, as they build better infrastructures, the coffee quality from those regions will also uh, improve. I ask that specifically because if you look at the tea produced in Kericho yes. and the tea that is also produced in the mountain, yes. even if you look at the, when the... the the, the bonuses are being paid. Yes. Those from the mountain receive more bonus yes. than those in Kericho. And yes. there's been uh, a debate on yes. the same. Yes. But the question, the, the answers have always been what you're talking about, yes. the ecological factors. Yes. The soil in, uh, in the mountain va- favors the production of a particular kind of tea. Yes. And that's what has always increased their value. Yes. Maybe that will still uh, work for the coffee farmers. Um, Sami, I wish we could have uh, had more time to have this conversation, but that is all the time we had for this uh, podcast. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, uh, thank you very much. I think you've learned one or two things about coffee farming and coffee trading. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Thank you.